The most thorough and understandable revelation of God is in the pages of Scripture. And the revelation of God was captured in the writings of Scripture by the means of inspiration. This is how we got Scripture, by the means of inspiration. So we want to just concentrate on a couple passages, but then we're going to insert others as we go along. But we're going to concentrate first on 2 Timothy 3.16. So turn with me there. 2 Timothy 3.16. We're focusing on verse 16 this morning, but it comes in the context. Uh, Verse 13. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is a judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. That's the context that we find our verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, in. In the context of all different kinds of teachers that uh, plague the church, that uh, are deceived and and deceiving others. And they are evil men who just are living for their own cravings. And the church goes from bad to worse under these men who are deceived and being deceived in this ever-progressing abandonment of the truth of the Word of God. Paul exhorts Timothy in that context, you do not be like that. You know the power of the word of God. You know what it's done in your life, how it brought you salvation because it reveals the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've known this word from childhood and how it has made you the man that you are today. And to encourage him and to bolster his confidence in what his calling is to preach and teach the word of God, Paul says, don't forget what it is. Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God. That should give us great confidence when we share a Bible verse with a brother or a sister that is struggling. We may not know the words to say, but we have the words of God. And so we can have great confidence when we stand in front of somebody uh, and give them the simple word of God. We don't even hardly have to explain it. Sometimes, although I would encourage you to do that, you can just give them a verse and it is the inspired word of God and it is able to change that person. We ought to have great confidence in the word of God, both in the lives of others and the life of ourselves. This verse gives us that confidence. First of all, he says all scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture, first of all. All Scripture. That that is the the whole body of Scripture. It is from from cover to cover, everything in between, including all its parts, is inspired by God. All of it. There's not one page, not one word that is in admiration of this truth. It is not a rogue, there is no rogue word in your Bible. Every single word is from God. All scripture is inspired by God. Now, what does it mean to be inspired? Right? This is what we're looking at this morning. Inspired by God. Now, this word, inspired, 
is what's called the hapax legomena. And it just means, it just happens here in the New Testament. We don't have any other uh, example of this word in the New Testament for us to kind of shed light on what he means by all scripture is inspired by God. So we have to put some pieces together to understand what does this mean? There are, there are plenty of wrong understandings of this word. But I trust by God's grace to give you the right one this morning. So inspired. It can mean essentially, if we want to make it very simple, we can, we can say it's one of two things. In, to inspire, when it says all scripture is inspired by God, it's either it is breathed into by God or, is, or it is breathed out by God. So there's the in or the out. It's either breathed into by God or breathed out from God. What do I mean? Well, let's look at some examples. Genesis 2.7 is an Old Testament example of how this word would be used and this principle of breathing into. It says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. So those that would hold to all scripture is breathed into by God. They would, they would use this verse as a reference. They would compare how we get the Bible with how God made man. That there was this body of work and God breathed into it this, this living and 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 this, uh, this life, he breathed into it this stamp of deity, as it were. However, this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't the right understanding of breathed by God or inspired by God. It is not breathing into because there was no Bible that was preexistent for God to breathe into. What we're going to see this morning is that the inspiring of the Word of God is the production of the Word of God. It is another way of talking about how we got it. The Greek term in 2 Timothy 3.16, inspired, is theonoustos. Theonoustos. And then we got God right? Theo, theology, the study of God, and then breathed. God breathed. That's what the word literally is translated as. To get an idea from the Old Testament what this looks like, we go to Psalm 33, 6. Psalm 33, 6. It says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. We've mentioned this before, how in Hebrew literature, especially in the Psalms, the psalmist will say the same thing two different ways, right? So he's saying the same thing twice. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts were made. So all their hosts is, is comparing to the heavens, the, the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, is parallel with by the breath of his mouth. So by the word of the Lord, or by the breath of his mouth, the heavens were made, and all the starry hosts in it. What does this mean? What does this mean? Well, it means that God created the heavens and all the heavenly hosts. That's what this is saying in a poetic way, that God produced the stars that you look up and see. He produced the sun that rises and sets every day. That is a result of God's creative power. It says he, he spoke or he breathed out and it was created. It's just saying God is the source of all that we see. Now, if we take this, this principle or this understanding of God breathing out, 
then when it says all scripture is inspired or God breathed, it means all scripture is produced or created by God. Now this, this word inspire, our English word inspire comes from the Latin word inspirata. And it means breathe into. So it's actually not a, a, a good translation, unfortunately. ESV does a better job than the NAS that we use here. The ES, if you have the ESV, I, I believe your translation says, says what? Does somebody have an ESV here? All scripture is what? God breathed. That's, that's more literal than what the NAS is saying here. The NAS is pulling from the Latin translation when it uses this word inspired. And that's, that's, why, that's why you have preachers and teachers who can explain to you it's not breathed into, it's breathed out. When we understand inspire, it's not, we're not pulling from the Latin, right? The, the, the Bible wasn't written in Latin. It was written in Greek. So we go back to the Greek word, theonoustos, and that is God breathed. So it's better translated God breathed or breathed out by God. Inspiration, what this is describing, it, it describes the reality of divine cause. That God is the cause of Scripture. Just like He is the cause of creation or the cause of the heavens and the planets and the stars. He is the cause of those things. So He is also the cause of the Bible. Without God taking action, we wouldn't have it. God is the source and the creator of Scripture. The pages that you hold in your hands are the product of God. Now, how did this happen? Well, there are different views about that, what inspiration means. Okay, it's, sure, it's the... It's the uh, divine causation or the divine production of Scripture. We can, uh, we can adopt that, but exactly what does that mean? How, how did God produce it? So there's a different view. There's some, some different views that you have there. We have uh, dictation, uh, conceptual, natural, and then the last one is verbal plenary. All right? Now... I told you before that when I went to seminary, uh, it dawned on me that I knew a lot of that stuff already that I was learning at seminary. Why? Because I had men who were faithful to teach systematic theology every Sunday morning, and God gave me the strength and gave me a wife to help me get there. Every, every Sunday. And so that when I went to seminary, it was just learning a little deeper and a little more thoroughly the same things I've already been taught. All right? So you're, this, this is what you're going to get is you're going to get some meat here. And this is going to bolster your faith. And this is also going to equip you for greater work. So it, it will be a stretch. It will be challenging. I'm going to have some things on the top shelf for you, but I'm going to have some stuff on the bottom shelf that's easy to grab, okay? So just stick with this. So first of all, there's some different views about what inspiration means, okay? The first one is dictation inspiration. And this is just simply that God gave the human authors of the Bible the exact and precise words to write. He spoke, and they heard the words, and they just wrote it down like a secretary with their personality, their minds, their intellect did not have any influence on what was written. Much like a PhD doctor would have his or her secretary write down uh, something on a notepad. That secretary does not have a PhD, right? 
But what she produces is PhD quality because it's from the doctor. It has nothing to do with her. She's just writing down the words that she hears. It, this understanding of inspiration basically turns the human into the pen. The human is the pen. Now, it sounds good, but there is a problem with this. If this is true, if this is really how we got the scriptures, then there would only be one vocabulary, right? There would only be one style, only one personality in all of scripture. No matter which book you go to, it would sound a lot the same. But we don't have that in scripture. We have very different styles, vocabularies. John uses uh, abide and love uh, way more than Paul does. Paul, I think, uses abide once. So there are... There is, the, there is this, this uh, proliferation. There, is, there are many different styles and vocabularies that come through all of these authors of Scripture. One example is in Deuteronomy 3. This is Moses, right? He says, I also pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, we're just seeing how Moses talked. O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. Very picturesque, very poetic. This is just how he talks. Moses was a, a, a well-educated man. Now compare that with Paul's writing. Some, uh, in, a, in a similarly intimate moment in writing, Paul says this. Listen to the wording. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience tes testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from, from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Very straightforward. Very, there, there's an outline to it, right? There's an argumentation to it, like a lawyer would, would have in a courtroom. Very different. They don't sound anything alike. This is not picturesque language, like we see in Deuteronomy with Moses. So if it was all God giving exactly the words, exactly the style that these authors were to write in, we would see a lot more commonalities from book to book. But we don't see that. We don't see that. So it's not dictation. So there's, there's another option. There is conceptual inspiration. You have there on your notes. Conceptual inspiration. And this, this uh, teaching, this view of inspiration, uh, states that God never gave the writers of the Bible exact words to write. Therefore, it's just the ideas and the principles in the Bible that are from God, not the words. So you can see the word conceptual, the concept. So what's inspired or what's really produced from God, what, what is from God is just the concepts that we read about in Scripture, not exact words. Now, this is wrong. Because Scripture repeatedly claims to be fully truthful. Psalm 119. And do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I wait for your ordinances. Psalm 119, verse 60. The sum of your word is true, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. See, it's called the word of truth. The word of truth. Your word is truth. Every single word. Not your concepts. Not your teachings. Not the message. The word. The words 
are truth. The words are inerrant. We're going to learn about that in another week. God takes every single word of the Bible seriously. Let me prove it to you. Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6 says, Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. See, every word God takes seriously. Don't add one word to his scriptures, he says. God wrote what he meant and he meant what he wrote. Word by word. He forbids the exclusion and the addition of a single word from or to Scripture. So it can't be just general concepts, right? If this is true, it can't just be general concepts that God gave us. General principles. He gave us specific words. We need to take each word seriously. That affects how we read, doesn't it? It affects how we study God's word and how we teach God's word. Each word counts. Uh, There's one more, natural inspiration. Natural inspiration. This view of inspiration of how we got the Bible uh, teaches that the the biblical authors found inspiration for their writings from within themselves. Compare it to like uh, an artist or a composer of a song or an author of a, of a novel or a poem. What is required for them to create a masterpiece? Some level of inspiration, some, some in, inward insight and motivation. And then out comes this beautiful work of art, whether it's a sculpting or a painting or if you're an architect, an amazing building or a song or whatever it might be. This is this view of inspiration that the biblical authors just, they were really insightful men. That they had great spiritual insight and that's what what uh, gave their writings this special quality. They were just really spiritual people. And, so, and, and they happened to be really good writers. And so it was, it, what we get are these really inspiring and inspired scriptures. It's really nice. Now the problem is obvious, isn't it? Right? There is no room here for scripture's clear claim that it's from God. Right? Every word, all scripture, is inspired by God, not inspired by man, not inspired by creativity, right? It's inspired by God. Second uh, Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. This is talking about source, right? The source is not human will. The source is not some guy's interpretation of historical events or spiritual insight. No, the source is the Holy Spirit. It is God. God is the source. And so there is no natural inspiration. Man left to himself does not create divine work. Now, the last view of inspiration that we have here. Verbal plenary. Verbal plenary. Now, that's geeky, and it sounds, you know, like we don't talk like that. But it's, it's important to get these words. This view is simple. God, through the Holy Spirit inspired every word penned by the human authors in all of all 66 books of the Bible. So God through the Holy Spirit inspired every word penned by the human authors in all 66 books of the Bible. So 
let me give you this here. When I say verbal, plenary inspiration, verbal comes from the Latin word verbum. Verbum. And that's just word, right? We get our word verb for it, but, but the Latin word just means word. Word. And so it's talking about every word is from God. Plenary comes from the Latin word plenus. Plenus. And it just means full or complete. So every word, verbal, is from God. And, and the whole work, the whole book, plenary, full or complete work, is from God. So the Bible in its sum and its parts are the product of God himself. Now let's walk through a passage to, to get this. How do we get this? Do we have any questions at this point? Are we tracking? Um, yes, brother. In Spanish, um, John 1 1 says that verbo was in the beginning, the word. Mm. Yeah. The beginning was the word in English. And there you Spanish go. Says that verbo. So Spanish is the heavenly language. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, Spanish comes from Latin, right? It is very closely related to it in, in language. Yeah. So we, we see these things all over. 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 6 through 13. Let's just walk through this piece by piece. The topic here at hand is this hidden wisdom, this wisdom from God. Uh, verse 6 and 7. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Uh, wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The wisdom, the, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. So Paul is saying, what we speak, what we, the apostles, speak and write in the pages of Scripture is not a human wisdom. It is God's wisdom. Verse 8 and 9, The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. So he's saying this wisdom from God this hidden wisdom, this hidden truth from God is, is something that is hidden from natural man. But God has saved it and prepared his wisdom, has prepared his truth for those who love him. How does he do this? How does he give it? Verse 10, 10 and 11. For to us, God revealed them, this hidden wisdom, through the Spirit. This is how we get the wisdom of God, through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. So you see what he's doing. He's saying, what we're giving you is God's wisdom, God's revealed truth. And he steps back and says, how do we get this? We get this from God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. After all, nobody knows your thoughts except your spirit. Naturally, nobody knows the thoughts of God except God's Spirit. And so he, what he does is he's paralleling the wisdom of God with the thoughts of God. Okay? So the wisdom of God are the thoughts of God. When God revealed his wisdom, when he revealed his truth, he is revealing his thoughts. And the way that he revealed his thoughts, his mind, is through the Holy Spirit. All right? Now, let's go into even more detail. How? How do we get the mind of God? This is, I mean, this is important, right? This is not just any person's opinion. This is the mind of God. How do we get it? Now, we have received 
not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Paul is speaking as an apostle, and he says, we have received the spirit of God so that we may understand the things that God has freely given to us, this hidden wisdom, this mind of God. And he says, which things we also speak. So when we receive God's wisdom, receive the thoughts and the mind of God, we're, that's what we speak. That's what, you're, that's what you're hearing from us, is the mind of God. Now, do I, it, it, when he says this, the question arises, when you speak to us, Paul, is it the, the concepts that you're giving us? Did God reveal you just ideas? He says, no, it's words. God communicates to us in words, specific words. He says, these things we speak to you, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. What does this mean? Verse 13 the apostles impart these words that were taught by the Spirit. Not in concepts, but in words. Not in principles, but in words. Not in generalities, but in specific words. And these words were not the source of human wisdom, but the very words that were taught by the Holy Spirit. So we see this, this word... This is the verbal, verbum, right? The words. That's what God gave us, our specific words. And notice it says combining here, or, or better translated, I believe, is explaining. Or interpreting. I would say explaining is the best translation. This is what he's getting at. God revealed these words to me, and I need to communicate them to you. And when I communicate and explain the thoughts and the wisdom and the mind of God, I am explaining spiritual thoughts, thoughts from the Spirit, with spiritual words, words from the Spirit. So not only are the thoughts and ideas from God, but the very specific words are from God, from the Spirit. So both the thoughts, both the wisdom, and the words are from God, from the Holy Spirit. Both are found in Him. This is where we get the verbal part of verbal plenary inspiration. Now, where do we get the plenary, the whole? This is back where we started. 2 Timothy 3.16. How much is Scripture? All Scripture. This is where we get plenary. Whole or complete. So not just the words, but all Scripture. The whole document is the product of God, is God-breathed, God-produced, you see? So what does this mean in your day-to-day -day life? Well, if God produced all Scripture, all 66 books, then we would do well to read all Scripture, right? Makes sense. If God produced every word and it was very intentional and precise with the specific words of how we understand him, then we would do well to break out a dictionary if we don't understand a word as we're reading through the Bible. Stop and take a moment. I want to understand what this word means. And you get a dictionary or you get a, a, a Bible dictionary, which is basically a lexicon, and you, you just dig, right? And you study. What does this one word mean? 
If you would do, I'll tell you this, if you would do a word study a week, if you would, in, in your Bible reading, you come across the word, and I want to study this word. I want to study agape love. Or I want to study uh, holiness. Or I want to, I want to study uh, any other word. Uh, a disciple, what does that mean? If you would just take a word a week and just on top of your Bible reading, just study that word to really get a grasp. Oh man, your, your roots would sink down deep into the word of God. You would be unshakable in your understanding of truth because every word matters. All right. So we understand the concept, okay, hopefully at this point, of inspiration. It's God-breathed. It's God-produced in its whole, in its entirety, and in its individual parts, every single minute word. How did this happen, though? But how? That question still lingers how did it how did we get this second peter one says this this is the process of inspiration point two in your notes the process of inspiration second peter one i'm going to read 16 through 21 and then we're going to zero in on verse 20 and 21 says, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, such in, when he received honor and glory from the God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is, this is the Mount of Transfiguration. He's recalling this. And he says, we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. He says, so or but, we have the prophetic word more sure. More sure than that revelation, more sure than that mountaintop experience, we have the Bible. To which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This is how we got the word of God. Not by an act of human will, but by men moved by the Holy Spirit, they spoke from God. Now let's pick this apart. How did we get the Bible? Well, first of all, how did we not get the Bible? What does it say here? Let me ask you, how did we not get the Bible? Not by an act of human will. What does that mean, human will? Yeah, I thought it up myself. This is something that, you know, I woke up one day and I just decided I'm going to write the Bible today. That didn't happen, right? The, the human will and, and intention did not produce this. It wasn't some, some guy just saying, I, I think the world could use the Bible, you know, and so I'm going to write something that's really inspiring and a really nice story. No, that's not how we got the Word of God. It, and it's not an act of one's, uh, it's not a matter of one's own interpretation either. So it's not somebody's opinions, ideas, or personal interpretations of the events that they saw or the messages that they heard. That's not how we got the Bible. It's, just not, it's not just random guys that had an experience with God and they recorded that experience. That's, that is a shallow view of Scripture. It's not just that. It's not an act of, a, of the human will. N not human initiative. Rather, God spoke through men. It was from God. 
is from him. This is the opposite of one's own interpretation or human will. It's not their interpretation. It's not their will, not their, not their voluntary act. It is from God. That's the, talking about source again. From God. And this is how God has always spoken. 2 Samuel 23, 2. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. So who spoke? The Spirit of the Lord spoke. But it was, it was, it was by or through the prophet. And his word was on my tongue. It's, whose word is it? It's his word. It just happened to be on my tongue. I'm just the vessel. You see, God is the source. Uh, going back to Second uh, Peter. It's from God, but it's through men. It's men move, moved by the Holy Spirit spoke or wrote. From God, by the Spirit, through men. This is how it is. Zechariah 7.12, for example. They made their hearts like flint so that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Now, this is speaking of Israel's sin and how they hardened their hearts towards God. But in here, we get this short glimpse into what they were really rejecting when they rejected the word of God. This is stunning. This is how serious God takes it. You're not just rejecting the words of, of men. You're, just, you're not just neglecting another book. It's, it's the word. They, they, they could not hear or they rejected the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the prophet. So it's the Lord, by the Spirit, through the prophet. See the source and the means? How did we get the words? It's not just the prophets. It's not just the men. It's God Almighty, through his Spirit, through the prophets. He's the source. Now, again, how? <laughs> men moved by the Holy Spirit. That's how. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. We see this, the same thing that we saw in Zechariah. It's, it's from God, by the Holy Spirit, through men. See that? It's, it's just backwards. Do you see the similarity? But how? What, what, how did this happen? What did it look like? Well, we're given a glimpse. We're not given every detail, but we are given a glimpse into what happened. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean, to be moved by the Holy Spirit, though? What does that actually mean? Like, did they just have, like, this warm, fuzzy feeling and, like, uh, like a movie moves me? Was it this emotional uh, impulse? What does that mean? Well, again... Verbal plenary inspiration tells us that every word is given by God. So the words matter. It's not the concept of moving. It's what the word move means in the original language. So how do we understand what that word move means? We go to other places in the New Testament where it's used. Acts 27, 15 says, when the ship was caught in it, in the storm, it, and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Okay? This word, driven along, is the same word, moved, in Second Peter. So, what does this mean? Like a ship that is moved along by the wind to a destination. So these prophets were moved along by the Spirit 
to a destination. What's the destination? Every word and, and the whole document is the product of God. That's the destination. That's the end result. So this shows that God, the Spirit, took these men, took a hold of them, and brought them to the destination that he intends. It's like this. Here's a good illustration. It's like a, a person on a ship, but it's like a passenger on a plane. I think that's a more modern uh, illustration. Think of, uh, of yourself. Uh, remember when we used to go on plane rides, right? <laughs> Freely. And we didn't have to, you know, never mind, I won't get into that. Um, remember when we used to take plane rides? If you've ever gotten on, gotten on a plane and... Uh, you board that plane, and who decides where that plane goes? Who's in control? The pilot, right? Uh, the, is, does the pilot mandate when you uh, can get a snack, or does the pilot mandate if you get up or sit down, if you got to stretch on the plane? I've been on a long plane ride before when I've gone to like India or Uganda, and you got to get up in the middle of the flight and just like move, right? Because you're going to get sore. The, I didn't have to go and, and ask anybody for permission. I had a level of freedom, right? I, I, could, I could read the Bible if I wanted to on the plane. I could watch a movie to pass the time. I could write uh, a sermon that I was preparing for when I went there. I could, I could ask for a drink, ask for a snack. I could get up and use the restroom. I could get up and stretch. I had a level of freedom on the plane. But no matter how much freedom I had, it wasn't complete because I ended up wherever the pilot was going to take me. Now, my ticket w would say India or Uganda, but if the pilot didn't want to go there, we weren't going to go there, right? He could steer it wherever he wanted to, even though I had this level of experiential freedom on the plane. So there can be this mix of freedom and uh, uh, governance or, or superintending or overall control. There can be freedom and control at the same time. This is what it was like for the writers of Scripture. They had freedom to express their heart, to, to use their words, their vocabulary that they learned growing up, to use their own experiences. They had freedom to use their style of writing, their history, their background. But yet, over it all, the Holy Spirit was in sovereign control so that even with their freedom, what was produced are the very words of God. That's what this means. So the prophet communicated God's word through his pen. And the spirit moved them to communicate God's word. It's both. The writings of scripture are fully the words of the author in their own language and style, from their own personal perspective, Yet it was all under the superintendence of God, his, his Spirit, producing the very words of God. This word, superintend, is a good word. We use that today, right? Superintendent. We have that in our structures of work or, or govern, government. Uh, we have that. We use that word. So superintendence is a good way to think about this. Now, if these men had such uh, an influence, as it were, or such uh, a part in producing the Word of God, then somebody would say, well, you see there, if it's not divine dictation, then it was spoiled or stained or tainted by the human author and so we can't say that what was produced is perfect. Deuteronomy 
18.18 says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. This is how God communicates with us. It's his words. It's his commands. It's just through authors. It's through the men that wrote the book, the Bible. Now, what do we do with this? God acted directly on human authors that resulted in the creation of perfectly written revelation. There's no mistakes in it. In the original, this is an important nuance, in the original document, what these men wrote, that was perfect. Now, that original document is no longer existent. It had to be copied. It had to be mass-produced. It had to be translated different languages. So what confidence do we have that what we have in front of us is the Word of God? Well, we'll learn that in the coming weeks, how we got the canon, how we got the Bible itself, and how God even sovereignly and providentially oversaw that throughout history. It's really stunning. We can have great confidence that what we read is the Word of God. You can have that confidence. It is perfect. The Holy Spirit used the individual personality, language, style, and historical context of each writer to produce divinely authoritative writings. And the end result is a product of both the human author and the Holy Spirit. So what do you do with this? It's right there in Second Peter, right before he gives the explanation of how we got it. We have this prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention. That's what you do with the word of God. Pay attention. What does that mean? It means consider it carefully. Listen to it with full belief. And give it your undivided attention in your life. That's what you do with the word of God. Why? Because it is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself. Oh, Lord, you're so wise. In just the way that you communicated to us is perfect, and we don't need to go anywhere else. We have all that we need in the pages of Scripture. I pray, Lord, that you would bolster our confidence, increase our confidence in what we have here, and may we, may we prize it, Lord, and give it the attention that it deserves. You're speaking to us, God. We pray that we would listen. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.